my lords, ladies, and gentlemen. Gather around as I tell you the tale of Esther. With a little imagination thrown in. Once upon a time, actually it was a time 2,500 years ago, lived a mighty, mighty king. Pray silence for his most glorious, majestic impeccableness, King Xerxes. <laughs> well, hello, feeble minions. What a mighty king I am. For whenever my name is said, I hear music. My name, Xerxes. <laughs> Not only am I mighty, but considering the fact that I am 2,500 years old, I look marvelous. <laughs> My secret? I use Old Spice. <laughs> can your man look like me? No. But can he smell like me? Yes. Not to mention, I am worth it. Actually, he was worth millions, nay, billions. There were gorgeous gardens, marble pillars, furniture of gold and silver, uh, pavements of pearl. Why, he even had a large screen HD TV, which he could watch NASCAR. HD TV? NASCAR? Uh, sorry, you're mighty. I got a bit carried away, for I adore NASCAR. The king was the man with everything. He had wine, women, and song. I, I did it my way. Well, okay, he, he was a king with everything. He had wine and women, at least. <laughs> Waiter? Waiter! can't find any good help around here. Okay, he just had women. Oh, the women he had. A harem with hundreds of lovely ladies in it, just waiting for his call. And not only that, he had a drop-dead gorgeous wife, too. For her name was Vashti. And one day, at the end of a rather excessive banquet, which lasted over six months, and this was before antacid, he demanded that his wife appear before his guests, that he might show her off. The king had such a way with words. Vashti! Vashti! Get yourself in here! Now! And Vashti said, No. No? She said no. She said no? Yes! Ah. She said no. <laughs> but no one has ever said no to me before. Why... I am the king. My name, Xerxes. <laughs> so the king, who was greatly ticked, gathered all his wise advisors and told them that his wife had disobeyed him. She disobeyed me? Me! And the advisors were shocked and amazed and said things like, Disobeyed you? What happened next? They'll be asking for the vote. They'll be demanding equal pay. But worst of all, they'll be wanting to play our golf courses. Never. Over my dead body. What shall I do? Advisors. Advise me. Now. And the royal advisors mumbled and murmured and pontificated. 
Because that's what advisors do. Because they're paid by the hour. And then one of them said to the king, I know, let's make a law to insist that all the women everywhere obey their husbands. And while you're at it, banish that woman Vesti forever. She's trouble. I have an idea. I think I will make a law to insist women everywhere obey their husbands. And while I'm at it, I'll banish that woman Vashti forever. She's trouble. And one of the advisors said, But sire, it was my idea, actually. But the king said, No, it was my idea. My name is Mighty. My name, Xerxes. And so, whoever's idea it was, a law was made that women should respect their husbands by order. You see, the king got his way. The king usually did. True. But as we shall see, this left a vacancy. For now, there was no queen. But more of that later. Pray silence. Elvis has... <clears throat> Sorry. The king is leaving the building. He is the mighty Xerxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Thanks for putting up with us. That is just so wonderful, and they've done a great job all weekend. It's kind of it's uh, kind of fun to laugh at some of this stuff, and yet um, you'll see today as we look through this how serious this problem was with King Xerxes. If you're wondering why the set, why all the stuff, uh, we are kicking off a brand new series today and this weekend called Esther, Who's That Girl? And uh, I invite you, how many of you have read the book of Esther? Okay, quite a few of you. If you've not read it, you can read it in 20 or 30 minutes. Um, read it through slowly. Uh, read it through different translations. It's a fascinating story. It's a challenging story. It deals with hate, love, money, rebellion, lust, greed. I mean, it just sounds like our, our culture today at every level. And so I want you to read it. Now, here's what we're going to do. Some of you didn't have a chance or didn't know about it or were out of town when we were doing sign-ups for small groups. But uh, our teaching team, uh, Dick, Rob, myself, Jeff, and Christy, have built some DVD study guides that you're going to use in your home groups. And uh, we built a study guide that you'll go through with questions based on the sermons. And so today, there's a table in the mall. If you have not yet signed up for a small group, it'll be a 10-week small group series, and then it's over. And it will just follow the series week by week. And there are leaders ready for you to sign up and come to their house. They'll put in the DVD. You work through the workbooks. And it's a real easy way to kind of get your heart around this study. So please go by there today and sign up. Just basically putting your name down and finding out where it is. And then we can kind of be on this 10-week journey together learning a bunch of stuff. I look forward to it. Turn your bulletin over to the back page, if you would, if you haven't already. And follow along a couple of things that I want to say. There's a couple of challenges today about this message because uh, it's important for you to know that King Xerxes was not a king trying to follow the mandates of God. There's no insinuation 
that he's a, a godly king. And that's why you're going to see a lot of secularism, hedonism, a lot of uh, perversion, a lot of issues in the story of Esther. And I'll try to point some of that out as we, as we go through it. But I wanted to just ask you three questions on this weekend. Three questions that hopefully we can think about in light of, of Esther and some of the things that are stated about this culture. So I have three with a few subpoints, but the first one in your outline I would like for you to write down is this. What do I want people to believe about me? What do I want people to believe about me? You have a certain persona, a certain perspective, and a certain desire to be viewed in a certain way. We all do. We wear certain clothes that help promote that. We, uh, we learn to speak in ways that um, can build bridges to people. We, have, we use humor. We, we try things. Some of you are the life of the party. Others of you have tried to be the life of the party, and it's the death of the party, right? But what, what is it that you do? Who are you really, and what do you want people to believe about you? Esther chapter 1, verse 1 really identifies some of the things about King Xerxes that I want you to know going into this series. Let's read it together. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his entire empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign... He gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Medea, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. That's six months. A tremendous display, notice this, of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. Xerxes wants to be viewed as a man who has power, who has money, who has everything that everyone would think they would want. He's not afraid to put it out there. He's not afraid to somehow be in a position where people are watching him, uh, practically worshiping him. This was his need. Sometimes when you have a party or you do something like this, there's a big question that comes up. I would ask it of Xerxes. Was he meeting a need for them or was he meeting a need for him? <laughs> and, and it's a good question for us to ask in our lives. Why am I doing this? Why do we do the things we do? Do we do it so we can feel better about us? Or do we do it so that we can feel better about meeting a need for someone else? It's complicated, but motive is a real key part of the things we do and say. Um, I suppose the, the big question here would be found in verse 5. Let me just read verse 5. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted seven days and was held in the courtyard in the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons and silver rings embedded in marble pillars, gold and silver 
uh, couches stood on the mosaic pavement. And just there's marble, mother of poor, all these costly stones are laid out. It's a picture that I want you to have in your head because over the next 10 weeks, this picture is very important because it's where the business of the king gets done. And you're going to see his lavish blessing, and you're going to see his curse, and you're going to see he has the power when he says something, it happens, no matter what. It's a, it's a warped culture they lived in, but that's how they did it. The second thing I want you to write down in your outline is this. It's another question, and I'll spend a little more time with this one. Am I living within appropriate boundaries in my life? We all have boundaries. Now, some of them are given to us by the law. How many of you have crossed some of those boundaries and paid for it? <laughs> okay, it's true. Some of our boundaries are given to us by the law. But this book, the Bible also gives us many other healthy boundaries to live in so that we don't live in excess. Now, we're about to see a story that unfolds that has excess, and it's worth talking about. Verse 7. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. And there was an abundance of royal wine. This is a big deal. Remember, this is a party for everybody. Reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking. For the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. Guys, that's a lot of wine, let me tell you. Verse 9. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. What's happening here is just this huge party. Unrestrained. Unlimited. When, when, we, when we think of boundaries sometimes, we can easily view it as a negative word. And I don't want us to do that. I want us to view it as a healthy word today because it's healthy boundaries that make a difference in our lives. And I see so many times in our culture today that we have no boundaries for things that are destroying us. So I've sort of just thought, what are some of the deceptions about living with no boundaries? What would that look like? So I put four down in your outline. There are many more than four, but let's start with four. We are deceived. You see that in your notes? We are deceived, number one, when abundance turns into indulgence. Abundance turns into indulgence. Now, if I said, how many of you like to live the abundant life? How many of you like to have the blessing of God? It would be all of us. And by the way, it's a fair assessment. John 10.10, 10, it's Jesus who said, I've come to give you life and give you life what? abundantly. So it's a, it's, it's a biblical thing. And so often we associate blessings, especially material blessings, with the blessing of God. And that can be, even though we, not, we know that's not always the case, but sometimes it is the case. And so when we talk about abundance, what a wonderful thing. But if we're not careful, we can turn that blessing of abundance into indulgence and become a slave to it. How many of you like the idea of an all-you-can-eat buffet? It's just a good place, isn't it? Thank God whoever thought of that. I think it was Xerxes who thought of that in the beginning. 
you just you just eat what you see and and after after a few plates it really ceases to be about hunger at all it's it's just about getting your money's worth <laughs> and more and more and, and you know how it is it goes on and on these excesses this indulgence hurts our bodies this indulgence can create things that it was never meant. That abundance wasn't meant to create indulgences, but it so often does. Materialism creeps in. We're blessed and we need this and we need that. You've seen the bumper sticker. It's been around for years. He who dies with the most toys wins. Well, we saw another one the other day. and You may have seen this. It's probably been out a long time too. But Bonnie said, look at this one. It said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? When you're dead, you're dead. But, but the idea of accumulating, and sometimes if we're not careful, we go from this abundance to just needing more and more, and all of a sudden it's, it's indulgence, and, and it's not good for us. Number two, uh, similar to this, is when freedom leads to bondage. Now, I'm all about freedom in Christ. I preach it, teach it, live it. I, I want that freedom. I believe we have free will. And, and it's important for us to be able to make decisions that I'm not just a pawn in God's hands, but He's given me the ability to think and live and move and have my being in Him. But this story has quite a lot of wine in it. How many of you noticed that? Unlimited wine in it. And even in a minute, you're going to see there's more wine in the story. And the wine is the cause of something really awful in the story that we're about to read. And it started me thinking not just about wine itself or alcohol in general. I personally, I just know, I believe with all my heart, the Bible really teaches moderation when it comes to excesses and things like food or alcohol and many other things. It, but that excessive part is what kills people. It destroys them. There are people in these auditoriums today, you should never put alcohol to your lips, ever, because you've abused it. Someone in your family has. It's, there's no way that you're going to win messing around with this. It'll always turn ugly. Others of you don't have that issue in your life. And moderation can be a part of your life. It's between you and God. And it's really important that we don't take our freedoms to do the things that are meant to be a blessing. And that turns into bondage. You see, it was sexuality. God created sex. God created orgasm. God created the feelings in our bodies and fit in the confines of His holy, perfect plan. It is a wonderful thing. And yet, it becomes perverted. It becomes ugly when it's taken into these excessive things and it leads to people being in bondage. And so it's really important. I hope you guys are following this. I don't want you to let your freedoms go into bondage. Number three is when power becomes domination. You know, we all have power. Now, maybe you say, well, I just have a little bit of power or no, I don't have power. You know, maybe it's just the dog that you can tell what to do. I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can't tell the cat what to do. So we'll stick with the dog. Right. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, this is where the story sort of bothers me quite a bit. So I'm going to read it. This is not God's plan or will. But here we go. Verse 10. 
On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the presence of the Lord. No, it doesn't say that. It says because of the wine. He told seven eunuchs who attended him, and he names them, to bring Queen Vashti to him. Notice this. In the royal crown on her head, he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty. For she was a very beautiful woman. If the Bible says you're beautiful, you're probably really beautiful. Would you agree? Does anyone else have a problem with the king? Pulling his little piece of property out and marching her around in front of men so that they may gaze upon her? Yeah, it's pretty sick. But that's what he does. And the wine didn't help. And I guarantee you, this was a very tough moment. He's saying, come, come now, Vashti. Parade around and be my possession. Show everybody how beautiful you are. You've heard the phrase, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And that's the case of Xerxes. Now, now I have to say this now. We've got ten weeks ahead of dealing with this guy. He, this is his culture. This is their culture. This isn't the way God desired it to be. But he is a dictator ruler and he gets his way. And it's not going to change in this story. He's going to get his way. How am I handling the power and responsibility that I have with dignity and righteous motives so that when I stand before God, it makes Him smile? Or am I an abuser of power? Are you an abuser of the power, the authority that you have? Can you lord it over someone? I've talked over these last few weeks to multiple teenagers and students, and we love students here at Timberline. Thank you for for being here. and from a seventh grader to uh, a senior in college who now with Facebook and blogs and Twittering, there can be such abuse of power in what they do to people. They call it bullying. And, and this Internet bullying is a very serious problem. And people type in really mean things about someone, snap a picture, walking by them to target them and, and tag them. And, and on and on it goes. And people write into it. And there's nothing they can do. And it, it can take away their identity. I mean, it used to be when I was in school, it was just at 4 o'clock you met out behind the school and you took care of it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Then, then, then you prayed through and it was all okay. And then it was over. But it's not that way anymore. And there are challenges we have in our culture where bullying and overpowering isn't like it used to be. It's not just the strongest muscles win. It's he who types fast and has the tools. And so there are many ways of abusing the power you have. Think about it. Don't be one of those. And the last one under this point, uh, number four here, sub point, is our anger is unrestrained. Our anger is unrestrained. When, when we're deceived, anger has a place. Okay, I've been angry enough to pick up trash on the highway before. I've been so frustrated at litter bugs, litter bug, litter bug, litter bug. Don't be a litter bug. And, and, and just, you know, anger can, can motivate you to do things. But, but look at verse 12. When they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, She refused to come. This made the king furious, 
and he burned with anger. And those Hebrew words there, the furious, the burn, it's, it's kind of a, this, this idea of total rage, uncontrolled rage, where there are going to be consequences now. And when you see that happen, immediately I just thought of this idea that, um, and I need to say this about Vashti, it's not clear in Scripture, and it just sort of moves away from her, it's not clear if Vashti was making a stand because of a moral conviction of not wanting men to gaze upon her, because I guarantee you as a queen, a lot of people gazed upon her. So I, I can't just say that it was out of her some virtue. It could be more likely that it was out of her own need for power. To say, no, I'm not doing what the king, I'm busy. He can't just snap his fingers and pull me around. I don't know, but either way, it made the king mad. She had to know, however, in this culture, if she did not do what King Xerxes said, there would be trouble, right? So she knew that, but she didn't know what it would be. As I think about anger and, and the prisons that are filled up today in our community because of anger, makes me sad. The people who have been buried in our cemeteries because of a raging, angry moment, either with a weapon or behind the wheel. The one slap that you wish you could take back from, on someone you loved because of rage. That one abusive moment, that overreaction, that there's something here, you guys, that, that we have to get our head around because we have to be the people of God who restrain our anger, and we live with self-control. It makes a difference in the world. Let's lead the way. The last thing, and I want to be sure and get this in, so I'll move on, is number three. Are my relationships disposable? Are my relationships disposable? Because here's what's happening in the story. It's, it's verse 13. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he was always asking their advice. Verse 15, What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs? I mean, to me, a better question that I would ask is, what must be done to a king who makes demands that are not God-honoring? But it's not my story, sorry. Verse 19. So if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. Here you have it. Vashti is going out and Esther is moving in. Now it's going to take a while for Esther to get in there. But the harems begin. Next week we're looking at the power of lust. What lust does. It's, it's ugly. Chapter 2 is ugly. The things that people go through, they go off on this search. And, and I, it's, a, it's a tough to talk about, but we have to talk about it. How God shows up in cultures like this, I don't know. I just want to ask this question before we're done. What kind of value do you place on your relationships? The king said, you don't do what I say, you don't play in my kitchen. That's how it is. 
And there's people like that in our world. Hey, it's my party. You don't like it? Goodbye. This is my house. Get out. And I watch people all the time. You know, in friendship, you might have a really good friend. Let's say one is you just meet them. And the other side over here is ten. Because we often say, you know, one to ten. Where's your marriage now? Where's your friendship? Oh, this is like a level six. We're really close friends. We've been through a lot of things together. But then it goes south. What happens? Oh, they did something that ticked you off. And now you can't trust them anymore. And it's just easier to dump that friend and go back and start over. So now I met a new friend, and he's not like that friend, praise God. And now I'm, I'm on my way, I'm on my way. And guess what? Something happens, and I need a new friend. So I'm going to go, it might be me. I see it in marriage, too. I see it in marriage where people get so far, and they just can't go far. They don't get help to go farther, and it's just easier to start over. Now, I know there are biblical reasons why people say goodbye, and I get that. But a lot of times there's no biblical reason. And people say, I'm starting over. And they go back to one. And they get it up to a three or a four. And they go back to one. And they get it up to a three or a four. And you know what my fear is? That many people in our world today are going to die at an age when they've never had a nine or a ten relationship their whole life. Because our culture makes relationships disposable. Our culture says... Dump it. Go on to the next new thing. Guys, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. Because here's the promise. God, God journeys with us on the line. And if we make it to a level four with God, He's quite happy. And then if we go run around, God still waits at level four. Guess what? God doesn't view you as something disposable. He will never leave you. He will never walk away from your relationship. This is the God who created relationship and has desire to be with you. And some of you just need to journey back to level six with God because you've been wandering for a while. Let me pray over you. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this path that we are on together, for the challenge of it as well. We, uh, We need you in this room to bring healing. These are difficult subjects, but they are very much needed in our lives. Help us, Lord, not to soft coat anything or sugar coat anything at Timberline, but help us to be very direct and open and yet lovingly confront. With heads bowed in these rooms, I just want to say some of you are you, you're, you're running away from stuff. And you're running away from relationship after relationship. Maybe it's a commitment issue. Maybe your parents didn't have that. Maybe you don't have it right. I don't know. I know that God is still on the line waiting for you because He's the one who can hold on to you. And I want you to come to Him first. Come to Him first. He's the one who can fix other relationships in your life. He's the one who can help you go through the childhood pain and the issues and the weird stuff that no one will fully understand. But God views you as awesome. And He loves you today. Would you let Him hold you? Would you run back to Him? Secondly, some of you in relationships, it's a friendship you gave up on. And it might be a good time to pray about renewing that and moving forward and overcoming that conflict. There might be some marriages here that just say, you know what, we can't fail. It's not what we're supposed to do. This is a God thing. It's a God moment. 
I've got to change some things. And you work together and you walk through it and you get the help you need. Starting over. Maybe you can start over together. That's not false hope or silly. There's reality in that with God. I promise you there is. Lastly, I just want to say, you know, some of you need to put healthy boundaries in your life, don't you? It just starts with a little bit of this. It's, man, I was blessed with a great job, and now that materialism, and I'm not faithful to God in my finances. And I just started with a beer, and it's leading to all these terrible nights. And I just started by doing this, and now I'm, man, I just kissed her goodnight, and I never dreamed it would lead to this. And it's, it's, just, it's just healthy boundaries that that you need to set in your life and just to own this in a way that's refreshing and honest to God, you guys. That's all He wants. So just own whatever it is of yours and let me pray over you. Lord, we, we pray for all these things right now. I know we lift our hands and hearts to, to admit to you the challenges of this stuff. And not just to try harder and to feel beat up by you, but today to have the life of God that says, come with me, that you're taking us to a new place that we have not been before. I trust you in that. We yield to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Lord, you are glorious. Send us out of here to be that glory that you've put in us. That our lights might shine. That we can make a difference in a world that compromises. Teach us to be strong. Thank you for the story of Esther. Help us to commit to these next ten weeks. To be learners. To grow in our faith. To read ahead to jump in a small group, to do the stuff that we can do to learn more about your stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer teams are up here. Hey, Bonnie and I teach Summit tonight. We'd love to have you join us if you've never been or you're new to Timberline. Also, go sign up for a small group right now. The table's in the back, and it's just a matter of putting your name down. God bless you.